Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome everyone, Tom Miller here, and I'm just really excited for this for this uh, chance, and I'm and I'm just really um, grateful that we've got you know folks hopping in. I know we've got leaders that are starting school, and um, or maybe you're in school. You know, some of you are already in your third or fourth week, or um, but um, you know, I'm just always uh, grateful to have one individuals like Lisa Gordon Stell that I can rely on to one, be an expert, you know, for us and, and, you know, give the school leaders the information they need. And two, that we have this great inner circle of uh, uh, charter school leaders and principals <clears throat> who most, most importantly want to equip themselves all the time to make sure that they're constantly making, um, you know, the best decisions for, for the organization. So if you don't know uh, Lisa, I'll just, you know, I give her two minutes here of how I got to know Lisa Gordon-Stell. Lisa was um, she was a board member at Maureen Joy uh, Charter School in uh, Durham, and I did some board training there, and we started to get to know, know each other that way, and she said, uh, you know, the board training I did, she goes, that was the best risk management, you know, training, mitigating risk, and I was like, I don't even know what any of that means, and so Lisa started to educate me on, on, on you know, a governance from a legal compliance you know, piece. And then she really started to um, work with all these uh, charter leaders and really get involved. And then she spent time as the co-president of the, uh, you know, you know, the association and just really started to impact uh, not only uh, charter leaders, but private school leaders um, across North Carolina. And I know across the nation, because I know you do a lot of work there. Uh, but most importantly, she's an amazing mom. She's a world traveler. Uh, and she's, um, I've never met anybody, to be honest, who almost seems like 24 hours a day is available, uh, has an answer, and her number one goal is to keep you safe and your organization safe. Now, most of you know me, I like to fly outside of the box. I don't always like rules. And so that's why I need someone like Lisa around me because she's always gonna remind me, well, you could do that, Tom, but um, good luck. Uh, I might not represent you at law if that's the case. So, and that's how I end every session. When you know, someone asks me advice, I'll say, well, I'm not going to uh, uh, defend you in court, but I have an amazing legal friend who would. Um, and this is probably what she would say uh, and how to answer that. So Lisa, thanks for being my friend and my mentor and my colleague here. And thanks for being a part of our expert inner circle. Um, it's just so important to have individuals like you who care as much of a, about our success as I know you do uh, your own and your own family. So uh, with that, if you're here with us live, go ahead in the chat box and share the, the school you're with and um, go ahead and put your question in there. Uh, Lisa's gonna spend you know, 10 or 15 minutes. She's got some really important topics that I told her that she has to share with you because uh, she's, she's the one who's 24 hours a day you know, dealing with the legal aspects of, of uh, COVID-19. And so, uh, so we wanna make sure you get great value out of this time, but I also wanna make sure that Lisa has a chance uh, to share some of her, her um, big topics. So, Thanks again, Lisa. Go ahead. The floor is yours. Sure. sure. Thank you so much for your um, very kind words. Um, and I do, you know, my priority is to help you and give you the tools to make decisions that are backed up by the law uh, and with COVID, hopefully backed up by science and that are operationally doable. Um, you know, I, I think it's very hard. And what we struggle with in law is, you know, the law is not always made for every situation. And so we have to figure out ways to make it work when those unusual situations come up. And we are for the past, I guess, 18 months now, um, 
have been in one of those situations where we're trying to figure things out as we go along and it's a very fluid situation as you all know um, it will likely continue to be fluid through the end of the school year um, I, I hope that it doesn't but you know I, I, I'm just gonna be realist here um, and so it is important and I take it very seriously and honored to be able to you know do these webinars to update you because it is a lot to act to digest and if you if you get half the stuff that I get, and I know you probably get double what I get, it's impossible to go through everything and figure out what you need to know. Um, so um, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, some, I, I did do a webinar yesterday for the association, and um, I'm not gonna go through everything that I talked about yesterday, but I wanna highlight some things and also share something else that I did not bring up um, in our discussion yesterday, um, but it is something that we need to be thinking about um, because, again, an area of uncertainty. So, you know, one of the things that I'm sure all of you are struggling with and, you know, it, it, it's the dynamics of schools. Schools are sort of the confluence of parents, teachers, uh, board members, community, everyone comes together at a school. And so all of what's going on in our society ends up sitting on your lap. And your real job, though, is educating kids and keeping them safe. And if you think about those two things when you are going through your decision making and try to push out all the other noise that's out there, I believe you'll be making the right decisions. And, and sometimes that noise is gonna be parents um, because parents have opinions um, and well before COVID, you know, opinions that don't necessarily jive with the ability of what your obligations are as a school. Right, they they want you to do things that maybe you won't do or you actually can't do. Um, similarly, with employees, there are certain things you can do and can't do. And so, if you just think about in terms of what your ultimate responsibilities are and use those in your decision making, I think that's going to really help focus. And, and and while it won't relieve all the stress of the stakeholders being at your, your door, it'll at least maybe make the decision making process easier. Um, and 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 so thinking through that, you know, when we're talking about masking, when we're talking about vaccines, um, how you interact with families, um, and what your duties are, one of the things that um, we talked about yesterday was that you have a duty um, to keep your to to for to your employees to prevent them from being exposed to known hazards and take mitigating steps to address known hazards. COVID is certainly a known hazard. Um, and that is an obligation that you have under OSHA. Um, and traditional public schools don't have to comply with OSHA um, because they are a government entity. It doesn't apply to them. Um, OSHA hasn't, said, hasn't set hard and fast rules. But what they have said is that the guidance that you should be following is the CDC guidance. You may ask me, well, why, why is it important if it's not a mandate, if it's just our a guidance. Well, here's why it matters. And, 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 and this matters for kids too. When you're looking at your potential exposure, and, and again, I'm looking at legal liability. There's also the whole, you know, that public relations aspect of this. Um, but when you're looking at legal liability, you get judged by the standards that you are supposed to comply with. Okay, and if those standards say that you should be doing things, even if it's not a mandate, but if you don't do them and we know, and, and we know that those things would help keep your kids safe, or your employees safe, then if something tragic does happen, you are more likely to be exposed to um, and not have much of a defense when it comes to litigation. And again, I don't wanna make litigation the, the end all be all, some of what has been lost in some of these discussions about whether we mask, whether we move forward with vaccines, is there is real consequences to the decisions that you make. And, 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 and you as a charter school might not have some of the tools in your toolbox to protect you. And, and, that's, and this goes to the, what I did not talk about yesterday. Um, and in part, I didn't talk about it because um, 
it, it's still very new and we're still trying to figure out what it means. Um, and I assume we will talk about it once we have more information. But so there was a recent case that was decided um, last, it was either earlier this month or at the end of last, I think it was earlier this month. And that case was the charter school, charter day case out of Leland over school uniforms. Now you might think, what does school uniforms in that case have to do with COVID? Well, here, here's why it matters. The, the federal court that issued the decision, which is the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, they um, issued uh, two, two parts to their decision. And one part that matters for COVID is they said that charter schools in North Carolina are not state actors. And so because they were not state actors, they were not mean that you don't get to avail yourself of the government immunities that state actors get to avail themselves of, which means that you may be more likely to be subject to um, uh, a, a bad outcome in litigation because you won't have all the defenses that a government entity would have. And so, again, this is very preliminary. We don't know what, first of all, the decision is not final um, because there's appeals that may happen. Um, but it's still sitting out there and there there will be potential fallout from this if it stays as it's as it is right now um and i would be remiss for not just saying this is something to follow this is something to think about um because you know sometimes sometimes you can win a battle and you might lose the war and i'm not sure with this particular decision however happy some folks are about it if at the end of the day, it may actually have some negative implications um, for your defense if you were in a situation. Um, and so on that note, you know, the, the reality is, and, and what also folks are not, many parents are not appreciating um, is, and, and community, you know, and, and communities, is that this whole mask issue is very troubling for kids who are under 12 who can't get vaccinated. Because the reality is the mask that I wear or your child wears doesn't protect them from another child who doesn't mask and an, or an adult who doesn't mask. And, um, and so parents, and actually there is a lawsuit that's been filed uh, in North Carolina uh, out of Transylvania County saying that by not having a mask requirement, you are um, not providing your uh, education under Leandro because you're not providing a safe environment. You are preventing kids from being educated. Um, we don't know where that's gonna go, um, but it is something to think about is in that, you know, it, parents are making the decision to send their kids to school and there's very little that they can do to protect their child. if not everyone is masked. Um, and then, then the second piece to that is nobody wants an outcome where some child ends up hospitalized or God forbid dies. And it's gonna happen. I mean, it's already happened. Um, you know, there was a student that died um, this past week in, um, I wanna say Granville County, perfectly healthy 17 year old. Um, another student died in, in South Carolina um we can all look at those tragedies um and and hope that they don't happen but they can and they can happen to any one of us and and so what your job is is to try to protect your your students and your staff from those situations to the best of your ability and your standard i mean and this goes back to what i was saying about legal issues is if you don't do something that has been shown to potentially provide protection that could be considered gross negligence and um and so it's important to think that if you want to put all the politics and everything aside if you consider 
one, potential litigation, and two, you know, the disruption from quarantine, you know, because repeated quarantines and kids are going to be out of school, teachers are going to be out of school, it does create a lot of challenges to delivering the education that everyone wants to deliver who's on this call. Um, you know, Lisa, I, yeah. I just, you know, I remember you made me think about, because I was listening to your call from yesterday, which was great. Uh, when I was in my doctoral program, you know, Dr. Holliday, he was getting, he was the assistant superintendent of New Hanover uh, County Schools. And at that time, Ashley High School was getting bomb threats daily, daily, daily. And he looked at all of us, he said, you know, no bomb has ever gone off in a school. However, do you want to be the first school leader who ignores the bomb threat? And, I, and when I heard you, you, you know, speak, I was like, well, she's right. I mean, this is kind of that, that same conversation, you know, and, you know, parents choose a charter schools because of their reputation and their safety, right, and their caring of, of you know, individuals in a more of a, a personalized basis. And this is, you know, one of those opportunities to make sure that, you know, duty of care is really on the front end here, so. Um, if you'll take one, there's, uh, there's a question. Oh, yeah. yeah, so we got a teacher responsibility in the class to, the classroom, how are they protected from the parents if they are doing uh, the right thing? So I don't know, uh, Steve, if you want to elaborate on that, you can unmute yourself, but um, teacher responsibility in the classroom, how are they protected from the parents if they're doing the right things? Stella, it's just a follow-up from our question yeah. earlier today. <laughs> yeah. If you want to share it with everybody, because I think one of the things that comes up is, you know, how are teachers protected from, you know, basically from parents or overbounding parents stepping outside their bounds or just in their everyday duties. Yeah, and so I think the important thing is, is that the administration is supportive of, of the teachers and their ability to do what they need to do in the classroom. And if a teacher gets in a situation where they feel as though the communications from a parent are um, frankly bordering on abusive, um, then the response has to be a dial back to look, you know, and, and, it, and at that point, it's, it's about getting behind your teacher and sending the communication that, you know, we're going to take a break from communicating. Any concerns you have will go to me or pick another person that they go to, and we will address your concerns. But the communications have to remain um, professional, dignified, um, civil which I think is missing from a lot of our discourse right now. Um, and don't be afraid to hold back. There, you, you have an obligation to teach your kids. You have an obligation to involve parents, but you, that obligation can be altered in how you deliver it based on how parents behave. And if a parent is going to be, um, you know, not, you know, obviously challenging, but also disrespectful um, and unprofessional to your teachers, they don't need that kind of stress. Um, so I, you know, don't be afraid to say, hey, you know, you've stepped over the line. If you have further concerns, you're going to have to direct them to me or to, you know, pick somebody and, and let the parent, you know, and let, tell the teacher, don't answer any more emails from that parent. Um, and I think we have to rally around our teachers. I know administrators are also paying a huge price for all of this. Um, you know, Dave Machado, I've talked to him a couple times and he, we, were, we have, you know, commiserated on the fact that we've never seen such, I mean, really utter lack of civility from families uh, in addressing teachers, administrators, even other parents, uh, school boards. I mean, I'm sure you all seen the, I mean, I, I, I'm not on social media, but, um, you know, there's you know, article after article of people going into these diatribes at school board meetings. Um, there is a point that you can just say, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're here to educate your kids. We're not here to take abuse. Um, and, you know, if you, you know, I, I've worked with schools to craft those emails if they want to make, you know, extra sure that what they're saying is appropriate. Um, but you don't have to put up with that. Um, the other thing I'll say to Stephen's point, actually, I had another school where a parent wants to, they have a, a young child and they want to walk their kid in and the schools are not allowing walk-ins. And so it's, you have to, it's a drop and drop and go. Um, we're not, we're trying to minimize the number of people on campus who are not necessary. The policy is we're not allowing parents on campus to drop 
was parents pitching a fit. They sent an email saying that the school was violating, you know, various constitutional things. None of it's true. None of it's true. Um, you know, just because a parent throws some legal case at you doesn't make it true. Um, there is nothing wrong. In fact, you should be saying we're not having any unnecessary individuals in our buildings because the less you have, the higher your chances are of staying open. And while it may be true and difficult for little kids, I mean, my kids were, particularly my older daughter was sort of terrible about that separation when I dropped her off at school, but you just have to do it. And it's about the parent talking with their kid and setting expectations and the parent respecting, this is a school policy. They don't get to do anything they want to do. And if they don't like it, they can go somewhere else or they can homeschool their kid. Um, so it's really important, don't cave in when somebody gets assertive. Um, right now, there's a lot of basically crap that people are saying to schools that is just not true. And don't feel intimidated by that, um, you know, because if you, you know, it, it's kind of like, I, I have a dog and I, I, my dog used to be fairly well trained. And unfortunately, I've not been following up on that and as a result you know you giving her treats when she when she begs somewhere it just results in me having to do that more often so if you give parents everything they want every time when you know it's not what you want to do and it's not what you should be doing it just perpetuates the cycle because then you're going to get somebody else and you're going to get somebody else and then it never ends and it undermines your ability to operate so feel empowered to to say no to say this is our policy, this is what we're living with. We appreciate your concerns and then turn it back on them. I hope you understand because this is about our whole community. Our, our, we have to work together as a community. And I think we need to really stress that because it seems to be absent from a lot of the dialogue that we are in this together, like it or not, we're in it together. Two, two just really great you know, points you know, at least I heard you say is, and you know, I was just in charge of a school last week and I had a teacher email me, um, you know, cause we had a positive case and you know, we couldn't get like the power school email system to work on whatever the situation was. I said, Hey, can you email, can you email the parents? I don't have their email. And she said, I don't feel comfortable answering questions. I said, I would never ask you to do that. The only question I need you to always answer is we follow the uh, three W's and everybody wears a mask, everything else I'll take. And I think that's important if your teachers don't have that, at least that mini script of how they would respond to anything or to know those chains of uh, commands that come to you. And, you know, on another end, let's say, you know, COVID wasn't in existence and we had a teacher who we knew was bad for kids. We would remove that, you know, teacher, right? This is kind of that same thing. Like, what can we remove here to keep safety for the masses, you know, despite the one, you know, the one individual, the someone we need to continue to always, always make hard decisions as a leader um, and do that. You know, and as you all know, being a leader is often unpopular at difficult times. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the way it works. It, it no one relishes it, but, you know, um, with, you know, it, it, it comes with responsibility, you know, and, um, and we all have to live with that, even though it can get very hard. Uh, and I would, you know, you know, the other thing to think about is, I, you know, I, I had this school, we were talking about this, no parents in the uh, coming in and the board was concerned, you know, oh, we're going to get another grievance. Well, I, I don't know everyone's grievance policy, but here's a, here's a point, a practice point is your grievance policy should make very clear that there are only certain things that are a grievance. And a policy that says that your kids have, that you cannot walk in with your kid is not reviewable by the board. There's nothing illegal about that policy. It is an operations decision. And, and, and as such is not something that should be going to the board. So even parents, even you know, that concern about, oh, we don't wanna deal with another full-blown grievance or this or that, there are things that just don't rise to the level. And I would make sure that your grievance policies make it very clear on what does and what does rise to the level so that you aren't stuck dealing with things that just, you know, are really a waste of your time because at the end of the day, it's still gonna be we uphold the policy, um, but then you have to go all through all this rigmarole. 
Are there any questions, Tom? Um, so there's no uh, questions. Uh, Vanessa just said that that's a great point about a grievance. Do you have any sample grievance policy? We have one, but it's very wide open. I'll send one. To, I'll send it to you, Tom. You can disseminate. Sure. Um, I've been refining it over the years because, honestly, every <laughs> you think you've crafted something and then, well, it didn't cover a particular situation. So it's one of those things. Every every time I get a new situation where I'm like, that's not a grievance. I have to change the, I, I update it. Um, so I'll send you the 2021 uh, policy. And I would, you know, strongly suggest you make it very clear, um, you know, what is and is not in that bucket so that your board isn't inundated with, you know, things that the board just doesn't need to be involved in. Um, can, can you talk more on, um, so one of the great, you know, points that I just wasn't even thinking through if a parent wants a, you know, an exemption to a mask you know, for their yeah. child or even an employee, right? So I'll just talk about the differences. Sure. You, you, know, you, had, you, know, you know, I talked about it could be a 504, like a temporary right. 504, or there's you know, something with their employment. So I think these yeah. are some uh, questions that some folks get. So can you hit sure. that? Sure. Yeah. So a couple things. So I'll take the employee first because that's easier, okay? If an employee says to you, I need... Um, and it, you know, an accommodation or an exemption for a mask, the the analysis would immediately fall under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And what that analysis is, the, you would give the employee certain paperwork, and the paperwork would be a medical release and a um, a physician certification form. And that form asks very specific questions. Um, and I can also provide these forms to Tom um, when we're done. The form with questions may change depending on the employee situation. So it's not a static document um, for the most part. But what those two documents give you is, so the, the medical release allows the physician to fill out the form, but it also allows you to be able to get further information from the physician. So someone says, I, don't, I can't wear a mask, I have a medical condition. Okay, here is the ADA paperwork. Um, please bring that back. Once you bring that back, we will sit down and talk about it. Um, until that time, you still have to wear a mask. Um, and, um, and then once you get that paperwork back, and I've, I've only gotten, I've had a lot of employees threatened, but I've only had a handful. And in each instance, so one of them, the doctor said the individual had anxiety, and then said, um, but this employee can wear a mask. They just need to get used to it. So the employee didn't like what the doctor said. He quit his job um, because he didn't get a mask, a mask accommodation. Um, I have other employees who have submitted. None of them so far have risen to the level of being a legitimate mask modification. But let's just say we get somebody. Um, we actually had somebody yesterday who has the most unusual thing. This person actually wants to wear a mask, but apparently they have such sensitive skin that they have a huge rash around their mask. And they're working with their dermatologist to try to figure out like what mask they can wear that doesn't do this to them. And apparently it's really bad, it's super painful. It's, and, and so what we agreed upon was that the employee um, would, be in a class where um, is a teacher that she was behind plexiglass and only when she was behind plexiglass at least six feet from the classroom could she take off her mask but when she walked around the classroom she would be wearing a mask so that's an example of she truly had a situation that a mask was actually causing the medical condition and she's trying to work around it but she you know recognized that the answer was not not wearing a mask when you're with kids. So let's just say you had an employee and, and the reality is there's only a couple of medical issues where this comes up. So one is breathing. And um, I was talking, my husband's a physician, I was talking to him about this and he said, really, if you have an employee who can't wear a mask because of their breathing, then they are not able to work either because your breathing has to be so bad that you can't even get up from your chair and walk around a room. So you wouldn't even be able to work. So that's an unlikely scenario. 
the, the, the more common ones are um, someone says that they suffer from anxiety, okay? Well, the accommodation is not that you don't get a mask. The accommodation is we can give you mass breaks. Um, we can do other things for you. If that employee insisted that that was, um, and, and, and then let me back up before I go forward. Um, if you got medical certification from the doctor and it said, you know, it would be ideal for this employee not to wear a mask, um, given her anxiety or his anxiety. The response would not be, okay, the employee doesn't get to wear a mask. The response would be, you would call the physician. This is why you get that medical release and you say, hey, um, here's the situation. This person works in a public school. They, they are in a classroom with students. We cannot not have them wear a mask. Are there any other recommendations that you would make that would address the employee's condition? You know, mass breaks, blah, 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 blah. And um, usually the physicians will say yes. Um, if, let's just say they don't, let's say they don't, this employee can never wear a mask. Then um, my next step is, okay, well, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, if an employee would be a direct threat, um, then you don't, then you have to not allow them to be a direct threat. So there is a specific analysis that goes along with that. I would contend that they would be a direct threat and that, two, that there would be two choices. One, um, well, three, if it was not a teaching position and it was some like administrative position that they could telework, you could do that. Two, if it's not that, then the employee who's suffering from anxiety and not wearing a mask can take a leave of absence for, can be given leave for up to 12 weeks to manage their, their, um, their mass situation, their anxiety, and then come back to school when they feel, you know, when they, they get 12 weeks, it's unpaid. Um, and then the last would be that this person just doesn't work here anymore. Those are difficult decisions. They're decisions that you should certainly talk with counsel about, but all that to say is, I see no scenario where you have a teacher in a classroom with kids right now who is not masked um, uh, if you have a mask mandate. Now, I think every school should have one, uh, but um, if you have one, I don't see a exception to the rule um, at this moment. And you still have to go through the legal process though. You can't jump steps. You have to go through the ADA process to come to that because otherwise you can get sued. But the law is written in such a way precisely for these situations where that person's disability and their individual situation cannot put others in danger. Um, so that is the employee situation. I know there's questions about the students. Um, do you want me to talk or do you want me to take a question first? Nope. Go ahead and take the okay. one about the students. Okay, so students. Parent says, my student has a medical condition and they can't wear a mask. Okay, thank you for sharing. Um, please provide us medical documentation in, in the form of a medical, uh, a, 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 a documentation from a provider, their medical provider and um, a medical release. And, um, and then you can, you, could, you can hold off on the release and just get the medical provider and have that be a head of school function or if you have an HR person, an HR function. Okay. I mean, not HR, uh, but your 504 person could also scan it. But I understand EC is overwhelmed. So perhaps at your head of school, they vet it. Okay, does this look like a legit situation? Um, is this from not a chiropractor, not a dentist, not a homeopath, not an acupuncturist, a medical doctor, or, or you could get it from a physician's assistant. However, I'll explain that in a minute. What is it telling you? What's, what's the condition? Okay, and if, if there's a legitimate condition that they're identifying, then your next step is to follow the medical 504 process, okay? If it's, and I had a school, one got something from a chiropractor, one got something from a dentist, those are not acceptable. Um, and I don't care if that's the only medical providers they see, they're not acceptable. Acupuncture, I mean, not chiropractors cannot treat anxiety or breathing disorders. Those are the primary reasons that someone would need an accommodation in a medical, in a, a, for um, a mask. They are, is outside their scope of practice. I'm actually, 
about to file a complaint against a with the chiropractic board over a chiropractor practice that has made these assertions. And I have talked to the head of the chiropractic board who confirmed that they, it is outside their scope of practice. I've also talked to the medical board who said, any chiropractor doing that is engaged in the unauthorized practice of medicine. So to be clear, that's not their, their expertise. They don't have under North Carolina law, the ability to make those decisions. Uh, so you get that, then you go through your medical 504. Much like the employee, the medical 504 process is likely not gonna lead to a mask exemption. It is going to lead to mask breaks or other accommodations for that kid. Um, but again, it's gonna go through your team, it's gonna go through your normal process. And, and then I would say, well, what do you do in the interim, right? What do you do? Um, well, if, if the child has been at your school before and they haven't, ha they haven't had any issues, they can come to school, wear their mask until we get this resolved. Um, if they haven't, the odds are they've got a lot of other things going on in there and that they, they're probably getting an IEP. Um, and there may be, this may be a situation where the proper outcome is that they're gonna get homebound instruction. But I would not allow any student to step foot on my campus um, having not gone through that process and not wearing a mask and exposing others. And it makes me think about, you know, FAPE, right? So free and appropriate education. So even if the child ha has an IP, it's just an accommodation that they could have. Because um, that was one of the questions. If they had, you know, uh, sensory issues and wants a mass exemption, maybe it's just like, you know, with your testing, right? You've got education in chunks. They get modified mask breaks, right? You know, I mean, whatever those, you know, pieces may be. And you could do some interventions to lead up to that to see what works. Um, but, you know, going from zero to 100, right, is not, is not, is not the best mode and not to be reactionary. Because uh, I heard you say that, you know, before, Lisa, you and I, we were talking earlier about, you know, don't get emotional and don't get reactionary, you know, because you have a lot of people saying that they're leaving, right, or I'm not coming to the school. Well, there's not really anywhere for them to go. Because right now, almost every county, right, has shifted. Uh, we just saw another one, you know. Uh, Harnett County. Yeah, Harnett yeah. County. And, and so, you know, uh, schools are shifting. And I'm seeing charter schools are shifting to be more of a, um, you know, safer environment. So, you know, we hope that, you know, general legislation and, and our state, um, you know, DPI will help us with those hold harmless cases because we don't have all the flexibility that we had last year. And, you know, to be honest, to lead a school in a hybrid remote, you know, learning environment was really, really difficult for everybody. And so right now you're looking at protecting your organization, right? And you can always get more kids, but it's hard to get more teachers. It's hard to replace entities, especially if you get sued over something. And, and that was, you know, something I know some of our charter leaders have uh, reached out to. I need to get extra liability insurance for a situation like this, Lisa. So I don't know if you, if you have, you know, an answer you know, to that, but you're, you know, charters should protect you, right? Because every school does have liability insurance, yep. uh, but but these are some, you know, circumstances you probably want to think through. So, you know, go ahead. Well, I would, I would find, I would check with your insurance company to find out. I'm not sure what they're covering for COVID. I'll be quite honest with you. And this is why I've been, I've been a little bit surprised that people aren't thinking about that because, um, I mean, honestly, let's just pretend they do cover you. Anyone on this call who has ever been in, involved in any litigation, it's miserable. You know, it doesn't even matter. It's a time suck uh, on everybody. So, but it is important to know, and I would ask my insurance agent, like, what, what do we have in place if a kid gets COVID or a teacher gets COVID? Um, now, with teachers, they are going to typically be covered under workers' compensation if they can, if if insurance, if the workers' comp program says that it was attributable to the workplace. Um, students, they don't have any. There's, there, it's just whatever you know. And so that's where your bigger liability is, is with the students rather than your employees. Um, but it's just something to think about, um, you know. And and again. There are going to be kids who can't mask. So, for example, there are kids. I, I have a school where they've got a kid who's got a sy syndrome with that results in some mouth um, deformities, um, developmental delays. 
that kid's not going to be able to wear a mask. But that kid is also getting a host of other services and isn't interacting for the most part with other kids. Okay. So, um, so you've got to look at what, what is going on and is there another way to manage it? It is unlikely going to be the case that you would just throw that kid in the middle of a classroom who is not masked. Are there other ways if you needed to put someone, could you have barrier, you know, a shield? I was reading that the CDC no longer thinks that the, you know, the individual dividers that students have had last year is actually worth anything. And some think that it's actually worse because it's, it's impacting airflow. Um, but I would be thinking about, like I was saying, the teacher having a plexiglass in the front of the room, perhaps some sort of plexiglass for that student who's not masked. Um, because here's the flip side to all this masking. Just as we've got kids who might have situations where they can't mask, we've got kids who have medical situations where if they get COVID, it could be incredibly bad for them. Okay. Um, I, I have a friend whose child had her, um, basically her airway was not fully developed when she was born and they had to do all these different things to make it work. And so she's incredibly susceptible um, to, I mean, COVID would be probably, I mean, devastating, okay? And um, those kids also have a right to have people wear masks. That's the other thing is you could have a kid that if you had a mask optional, I've, I've said to schools, that comes in with their own medical situation that says, this child has to be in a room with only masked individuals. The burden to mask everyone is minor compared to the outcome for that child. And you may be required to do that. Similarly, employees, if you've got an employee undergoing cancer treatment or who's had an organ transplant or has, um, uh, is, is obese, who, any of the high risk factors we were dealing with um, last year and this year, are the same ones that could cause you to, re to require masks for unmasked people to protect those employees or those students. So it, it, it's, everyone's got issues and I think everybody needs to see that we've got to balance them together. And the goal should be the most protective because that's gonna be the least amount of problems for you. I, I'm not worried, frankly, about parents threatening to sue you over a mask mandate. I'm just not, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried over um, parents getting upset because they can't walk into your, your school. I I'm worried about the health and safety of your kids. And that's really the focus. And, and your ability to stay open uninterrupted. That's the main thing to worry about. Yeah, good points. So I want to uh, hit back. So I want to make sure, because I know we got a PTO question coming up too. So, okay. um, so uh, Vanessa said that their board voted to require uh, screening w weekly if uh, they're not vaccinated. Um, they have a contract to have those done. Uh, what would be our steps if an employee requests an, al an alternate version of the test and not a swab? And can we ask them to pay for that? Okay, so you can require the PCR test, which is the kind of gold standard right now. And if they can request it again, they would need to, that's an ADA issue. Can you not take it? Is that what you're saying? Or you just don't like it? Nobody likes it. You know, um, I'm actually in a COVID vaccine study. I've had way too many COVID tests um, and um, they're not fun. Nobody likes them. But unless she, this person has a medical condition that prevents them from having a COVID test done that way, then they have to do it. Um, the other types of tests are not going to be as effective because so rapid tests only work if someone's symptomatic um, they're also very hard to come by um, i was looking actually for um, my daughter the other day and um, she was going to visit someone and, and anyhow and there are some um, it's some entities that are offering the the rapid test, like $200 or some crazy amount of money because they know they're so hard to come by. And some places are not letting you use them unless you're symptomatic because that's what they're meant for. So I would go back to the employee and say, is there a medical reason that you can't, you know, what's your reason? And if they say, well, it's a medical, okay, well then here's the ADA paperwork um, and let's 
and, and get your medical provider to tell me that you can't take a COVID test. Yeah. Uh, and, and I will say this, I, I know, because this happened to my husband, there was, that there is this going around, uh, there are people who believe that the COVID test is the point at which the government puts a chip in your brain. Um, first of all, it's not true, but second of all, that is not really sufficient for them to not take a COVID test. So I just want to say that there's a lot of crazy things going on um, and you can't, you can't, you know, jam the, the swab up their nose, but you can say, this is what we're doing. If you can't, if you're not willing to do that, then you, you're not employed here anymore. Yeah. Unless they have a medical condition. And if it's part of your, you know, policy and, you know, part of your employee agreement, it is, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, Lisa gave you some, you know, steps that they can go through if, if they feel as though um, they might, you know, be able to amend it. So let's just talk as we start to close out here, you know, how, so last year we had protections under FMLA and there was like a longer uh, special uh, protection. So I've had a couple calls lately about, hey, do my teachers have to take their normal PTO time? Is there COVID time? So, you know, can you clear up yeah. some of those? Sure. Questions? So the, uh, the Families First Act um, expired on January, on December 31st. Um, it was, it is voluntary through September 30th. What that means is that emergency paid sick leave and that expanded family medical leave is voluntary through September 30th. Um, you could choose one or both. Um, if you don't choose that, either one of those, then you just go by what your typical policies are for people being out. And there's a couple of things. So someone's out with COVID, okay? They're out with COVID, then um, if you fall under the Family Medical Leave Act and they, ha they have COVID, they are likely going to fall under that act. And so they do get the time off for, I mean, they have to be eligible and you have to have enough employees, right? If those, things, if those thresholds are met and they have COVID, then they get the um, time off to deal with the COVID. Now, whether it's paid or not is dependent on what your PTO policies are and what your FMLA policy is. Your FMLA policy can require that people use their PTO until it's exhausted um, and then use unpaid time. It could not require it. it. That's a choice that you can make, but it's whatever's in your policies. Um, there is no requirement that you provide extra leave for um, for any of your employees due to COVID. Um, the the um, and then then there's the second issue, which is okay. They don't they are not um, COVID positive, but they were exposed. And whether or not they're exposed on your campus, they were exposed and they have to quarantine. So. The rule is if you are vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine unless you're symptomatic. If you are unvaccinated and you're exposed, you have to quarantine. A lot of my schools, I will say all of my independent schools and some of my charters, um, we have written policies that say that there will be, that they have to use their paid time off. Any additional quarantine will be unpaid. And it is not under FMLA at this time. Um, so again, that's going to be driven by what your policy are, is on, um, paid time off. I would, I would encourage schools and you're not going to be able to telecommute. That's the other, other issue that you have to be really, really clear because last year, a lot of people telecommuted. And so people, there was this expectation, oh, I can just telecommute if I have to quarantine. It's very important to employees, no, nope, no telecommuting. You will have to use your PTO and then unpaid leave if you have to quarantine due to COVID. And that clears up a lot of miscommunication that people have. I would also encourage you to not allow people to telecommute um, unless they are not a teacher and unless you want to get in the habit of having people telecommute. And, and here's the other piece to it about telecommuting. The Americans with Disabilities Act says that you have to provide accommodations to people. If you allow people to telecommute during COVID because they're quarantining, anytime you get someone who has a disability that needs an accommodation and they ask 
is that for telecommuting, you will have less of an ability, it will undermine your ability to say, no, we don't telecommute here. Your job is an in-person job because you've allowed people to telecommute. So again, not, I mean, and again, these are all complex situations, you know, do talk with your council about them because there are many facets and I can't profess to know all of them. I'm continuously blown away by the things that come up. So I wouldn't profess to say today that I know everything that you're gonna deal with, but those are just some basic ground rules. That Did that answer one, it? Yeah, I mean, that last one was huge, not to let them, tell because yeah you're right i mean you would just be dealing with every oh i have to quarantine because of this i have to quarantine because of that and yeah I and, mean, and there were schools where that i had a number of clients where they had people quarantining two and three times and the disruption to your to the school was so significant and you know if, and this is about you know we talk about personal choice if someone wants to make a personal choice they can do that but personal choices have consequences. And the consequences are, if you're not gonna get vaccinated right now, that is your choice. But the consequence is, you're gonna have to quarantine. And if you have to quarantine, you're not getting paid after your PTO runs out. Yeah. Um, that's a legitimate legal consequence. And it is choice that someone made. You are not abridging anybody's rights by making those types of clear policies. Just make sure it's an across the board policy and you're not picking and choosing. Yeah, and you know, I know we have a common, you know, client that had a teacher that made a choice not to wear their mask, and they're no, they're no longer employed. Yeah. And so th these are not things that you can that you can be unclear on. You know, to be unclear is uh, to be unkind. And and so you know, clarity in your policy. Here's our expectations. Here how it goes, and let them know from the forefront, and then let them make those choices. So um, yeah, I, and actually, Tom, on that point, I would make it very clear to teachers and staff members that. It's, I, I don't like to use this word, but I'm going to here, zero tolerance. If we get a report from a, from a family that you have taken your mask off during class, and we're not talking mask break, we're talking like, we're not wearing it today. That's termination. And, and I say that because you've got to protect yourself. If you are easy on health and safety issues, you're not protecting yourself. But give people a heads up, this is a health and safety issue, if you do not comply, and I'm not, again, we're talking mass, not mass breaks, we're talking about taking it off, there isn't a job for you here. You are endangering kids. And in this situation, this teacher ended up being COVID positive and infecting five kids, okay, after taking her mask off knowingly, for intentionally, in fact. So there are consequences. And that school, we don't know, could be subject to a lawsuit by those kids who, one of whom is medically fragile. Wow. Uh, and we don't know how that's going to go. So it's really important that you take these, these are, and these are what your parents are likely not appreciating. These are health and safety issues. They are not, this is not politics. I know yesterday you shared a little bit of a difference, you know, you know, between having to quarantine, um, you know, because of my child is sick, right? Or I have to, I have to be the number one caretaker. So, you know, you, you know, there's a question here about, if a child has to quarantine and I'm the number one caretaker, would you still kind of follow that, you know, telecommute rule? Or is that where you kind of need like a separate line of your flow chart and said, this would be the only way you would be allowed to work from home is under these types of uh, circumstances. So, I mean, it's dependent on the position in the school. Um, so if your child has COVID and you need to care for that child, then you would be a caregiver under FMLA. If a child is just quarantined because they've been exposed to COVID, FMLA would not apply. Um, and the FFCRA, as I said, is only voluntary. It expires on September 30th. You know, it might go on until December 31st. I don't know. If it does, I have encouraged schools. I mean, I would encourage you if, if the FFCRA continues and you can adopt the emergency paid sick leave because you get that money back, it might be worth it for you to adopt that. I would not encourage adopting the expanded family medical leave. Um, but that's gonna be a tricky situation because if it's a teacher and the teacher has to stay home with their child, can that teacher actually teach? Um, do, are you set up for that? Um, what are the barriers for that? Um, certainly it's better for the kids if the teacher teaches, but 
you are setting up a situation where it could undermine telecommuting. We can certainly argue that it was, you know, extraordinary, extraordinary, the only caregiver, the only teacher, all of that. I would puzzle through it with counsel so that you have a rock solid communication about why you, why you are or aren't doing it because you don't want to set a, a precedent unnecessarily or accidentally, I would say. Yeah. And you definitely want to be proactive, right? So having your teachers now start to, you know, bank lessons or workbooks or however else in case they need to be out or your class needs to go remote. I mean, start to do that now because um, that wasn't the plan we had. We only have a couple minutes left. You know, I want to give Brandy Simmons a little bit of an opportunity. She wanted to ask you a question or you know, sure. clarify something around the insurance. Then we'll let uh, Lisa finish up. Go ahead, Brandy. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Brandy. Hey, um, when you said something about the insurance liability, I immediately went on and, and emailed our, our insurance carrier. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of, and, and the panel, a little bit of feedback of what he said. Um, so my question was, do we have a do we have in place um, anything regarding COVID for student or staff, even though staff would potentially be workers comp, um, if something tragic was to happen? Um, or would it fall under our little, we got a bucket or like an umbrella policy um, that kind of covers kind of a catch-all? And so anyway, his response was, COVID is excluded from all policies. Um, he says, I'm not sure if there's anything you can purchase. If, there's an, if there is an incident, we can submit, but I have, to, I have yet to see any policy provided coverage. And then he asked what he, um, you know, to research some stuff. So he is. So if you know of something that, that maybe I can help, you know, push him along toward that or but that, that was his response. I just wanted to let you know as of right now. And, and, and Brandy, that's what I have heard as well. Okay. Um, but I have not, I didn't know if things were changing. Um, I, I tend to think insurance companies are going to get at, are not going to want anything to do with this because of the potential liability involved. Um, and so that's something to think about. Because again, it's not whether someone, even someone could win. It's You've got to pay to defend yourself. Do you want to do that? Um, you know, and 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 if you can avoid it, avoid it. That that I mean, I, as I said, I spent many years as a litigator. Um, I left because I, I I didn't enjoy the fight. I enjoyed trying to keep people out of trouble. Um, but if you can avoid litigation, you're better off. And 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 honestly, I know that that's not at the front of your mind. The front of your mind is we want to take care of kids. We don't want anything to happen to one precious child under our watch. And if we keep that at the forefront of our minds, then we're you're doing our job. You're doing your job. I'm just helping you do your yeah, job. Yeah, thank you. I just um, I wanted to give yeah. you an update. I appreciate yeah. you letting me share. Lisa, there's a quick question. Uh, FFA, did that expire in uh, December? Because I don't know what these acronyms are that you- I, I thought it was FFCRA. Is she talking about the Families First Act? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe- I think she is. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. It expired, it expires September 30th. It was, but it's voluntary for 2021. So um, if you didn't, you know, decide to do it after January 1st, then you are not doing it. It could very well get renewed for the end of this year. I wouldn't be surprised. And at that point, I would, I would think about whether or not you want to voluntarily comply with the emergency paid sick leave, um, because that's a piece that would give you money and support your your community if they get sick. Um, the expanded family medical leave, I would not advocate for. Yeah. I think it's too much subject to abuse right now. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for your time. And I want to end with this. As someone who was just a board member for the last six years and had to sit in six and a half hours of a deposition recently and answer questions like, well, did your board have an attorney when you made this decision? Who was your board attorney during this decision? And it happened to be that our board attorney was on the board, technically, which was the wrong answer. So if you don't have legal counsel, I'm telling you, and you think it's too expensive to have legal counsel, just wait till you get the bill after you have to hire legal counsel when you're in emergency. And so, you know, if you want to learn more about Lisa, you can go uh, to her website at lgstellalaw.com or email Lisa. I put it in the chat box, lisa at lgstella. 
law.com and if you're if you're part of the um, association's email list you know lisa is always putting out information i get her i can't remember if it comes weekly or every two weeks but you send a really informative newsletter to to keep you informed and um this is not a time where you want to be a learned expert you want an expert on your side don't try to read all this and figure it out yourself you have to protect and serve uh, your community and let the legal experts help um, you know decide all those pieces and give you the advice to make those best decisions. So Lisa, thanks so much again uh, for uh, giving us an hour of your time. Um, and, and so, you know, from the inner circle, we're really excited uh, that, that you're, you know, uh, part of our community and uh, we're all better because you do uh, spend 20 hours a day, um, you know, studying all this stuff and having all these calls. So uh, thanks again, everybody. Um, if you missed, you know, the start, this uh, replay will be available, you know, to you all in our uh, Principal Leadership Academy and other model. So thanks, Lisa. Everybody go uh, find her at lgstellalaw.com or just, you know, Google Lisa Gordon-Stella and you will find her. And be safe, everybody. Make good decisions for the organization first, always organization first and yourself last. So thanks, everybody. Take care, Lisa. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.